Welcome to the first episode of a special four-part series from the IEEE Future Networks podcast series. The series is called 5G Demystified, and it aims to focus on some of the big picture issues that continue over the technical aspects of getting 5G deployed and integrated into society. Originally recorded as a LinkedIn live broadcast, this first episode is called Hype versus Reality of 5G. For more information, remember to visit us online at futurenetworks.ieee.org. Hello and welcome. My name is Brad Closa, and I'm the program director of the Future Networks Initiative at IEEE. If you're not familiar with IEEE, we are the world's largest technical professional organization dedicated to advancing technology for the benefit of humanity. Um, and before we begin, I'd just like to note uh, a few quick things. Uh, first is that this is a live event uh, and our panelists will speak for about 30 minutes. Uh, and after that, we'll then uh, randomly select some questions from the comments section uh, on the screen. So if you have anything you'd like to ask, please feel free to submit questions in uh, that comments section uh, for our speakers. Uh, and now we can begin. Uh, this is the first in a four-part series that we're doing for LinkedIn Live. It's called 5G Demystified. Uh, it's a special collaboration between IEEE Future Networks and IEEE Educational Activities. And today's event of the 5G Demystified series is called Hype versus Reality of 5G. Uh, our expert panelists will discuss the seeming disconnect between the hype and attention that 5G has gotten in the, in the general public versus the uh, seeming impact that it uh, may or may not have seemed to have on most people's everyday lives. Um, so at this time, uh, I'd like to uh, get out of the way and hand it over to uh, our, our uh, volunteer lead, uh, David Witkowski, uh, who will lead us through the panel discussion. Thanks, David. Thank you, Brad. And welcome, everybody. Thanks for being here. Uh, really looking forward to this 5G demystified series and kicking it off with uh, such an august panel of experts. Uh, this is clearly an interesting topic. We have 1,300, approximately 1,300 people registered for this webinar, and, and that's uh, pretty close to a high water mark for uh, for these kinds of events. So I, I think that really shows that a lot of people have an interest in the topic of 5G and seeing the realities um, versus the hype behind it. So I'm going to go into um, introducing my panelists today, and then we're going to go ahead and get started. So uh, Joe Madden, morning. Uh, Joe founded the independent consulting company Mobile Experts and serves as the lead analyst. Uh, over the past 30 years, he has accurately predicted digital pre-distortion, remote radio heads, small cells, 5G fixed wireless, and the true size of the Internet of Things market. Prakash Sagnam is the founder and principal at Tantra Analyst. Good morning, Prakash. Good morning. A lead boutique research and advisory firm. Uh, he's a recognized expert in 5G, Wi-Fi, artificial intelligence, cloud computing, and the Internet of Things with more than 30 years of hands-on tech and what he puts in quotes, inexperience, and I'll, I'll, maybe he will tell us why he put quotes around inexperience, uh, working for Qualcomm, Ericsson, and AT&T. And finally, uh, Manisha Ghosh, a recently completed, morning Manisha, recently completed a term as the chief technology officer at the U.S. Federal Communications Commission, where she's reported to the FCC chairman and was integral in setting broadband uh, national strategy and technology specifications relative to the explosive, explosive growth of broadband wireless communications technologies. Uh, Monisha is a fellow of the IEEE and she currently teaches at the University of Notre Dame. Well, good morning to everybody. Uh, it's great to be with you. Uh, We've all worked together at, at times in the past and, and had interactions over the years. So I'm really looking forward to having this uh, conversation. I uh, really want to do this as uh, just a fireside chat, um, give people an opportunity to, to elaborate on things as, as we go through. And so um, we're not going to have any slides today. We're just going to talk. Uh, so let me set the stage for what we're going to be talking about. Uh, because we have such a large audience, I want to make sure that we're level set with everybody. Um, we've all heard about 5G, whether it be in the news or whether you're in the industry, perhaps you're, you're not a technologist, but you've heard about it and you're interested in this topic. Uh, so one of the things that I think is a bit cryptic for people who are not in the industry is, is really how, does, how do these standards evolve and, and how do they come about? 
um, you know, 5G is the regular evolution of mobile cellular. It is actually defined by the United Nations in what's known as the ITU-R, which is the International Telecommunications Union Radio Communications Sector. It's a very long name uh, that every 10 years they, they define the next generation of mobile cellular. And they say each generation will have certain performance characteristics. Um, in the past, they've really been targeted at handsets, um, you know, phones, smartphones, devices, uh, in 5G, it's been different because the ITU also defined performance standards for, uh, for example, latency, the, the amount of time that it takes for a packet, a data packet to transit over the network, or to define the number of devices that can be used simultaneously on the network. And it, this was really done to expand cellular beyond just the devices that we use, consumers use to Internet of Things, um, smart devices, uh, computers, like devices talking to devices as opposed to people talking to people. And so technologies are then candidates to be, to be used in these generations. So we think of like, for example, 4G and LTE as interchangeable. But what a lot of people don't realize is there are other 4G standards. Uh, likewise, in 5G, uh, we, we know, but we think of 5G, uh, but really there's what's called 3GPP's new radio standard, or sometimes referred to as NR. Uh, and 3GPP is a, is a standards organization that, that defines for cellular. But there are other 5G technologies. For example, we, we all have, uh, perhaps we have cordless phones in our house, and most of them worked on what's known as the DECT standard, uh, which stands for Digital Enhanced Cordless Telecommunications. There are actually two 5G standards um, for DECT. Uh, there's DECT 2020NR and DECT uh, 5G SRIT. Uh, there's also a 5G standard out of India called 5GI, which is done by an organization called TDSI. And so most people will encounter 5G in their lives simply through the 3GPPNR. Uh, but there are other ways that 5G will potentially manifest in in our lives, and we uh, hopefully have a chance to talk about some of those as well. So I'm going to um, lead into the panel at this point. I'm, I'm just going to go around and ask everyone uh, to comment on these questions, and I'm just going to pick the order. Um, so I'm going to start off because you're in my upper left-hand corner of my display right now, Prakash, uh, and then I'll go around to Monisha and Joe. Uh, so Prakash, so far, what's gone well in the transition to 5G? And then if you want to add on to that, what do you think has not gone well? Okay, sure. So uh, good morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on where you guys are. Uh, glad to be here, and uh, I hope you guys are here listening to us as well. So uh, quickly touch upon uh, the different uh, flavors of 5G. So, I mean, predominantly, as David said, more, probably more than 95% of it is based on uh, 3GPP standard and the, the Indian version or it was more of a fork because of uh, some you know specific features in uh, India needed it actually was uh, converged into a common 3GPP standard uh, in uh, release uh, 17 or 18 onwards so it's still one standard so there is no separate standard for India for 5G just to be clear I'm a 3GPP member so I follow this very closely I know how the negotiations went between the teams to, to converge those. So, okay, so what has went well for 5G? I mean, one thing is uh, when 4G launched, not many people even knew or heard of uh, 4G. Now, even though many people may not have 5G, but they still know about 5G. So they uh, you know what it can do, what it is, at least a lot of people know about it. So that's the, the awareness is important. So it is that is what has gone well. And the second thing is, and initially it was supposed to be only millimeter wheel, like many people thought, but now people have realized it is in a wide coverage with a lot of mid-band spectrum and such. Uh, some operators like Verizon did not have mid-band uh, uh, in the beginning, but now they have now almost all the operators and in the globe who have launched 5G have mid-band spectrum. So, and people are seeing a difference in speed. So it was not, I mean, although the marketing was 
you know these gigabits of speed uh, but uh, but the real value was in people seeing actual user speeds increase and you can see people are seeing those when they do speed test uh, you know it used to be like tens of mbs uh, but now you get hundreds of mbs you know as long as you are in the coverage area what has not gone well is i mean uh, for some operators i would say most of them the coverage has been an issue uh, it's it's continuing to improve because it takes time to deploy and bring service to every nooks and corners of the network uh, you know uh, you know people had phones phones were ahead in terms of adopting 5g but the coverage uh, was a little bit slow to come especially uh, for the operators who didn't have midband spectrum um, and then uh, and also i think there is there is this clash as you mentioned between what people expected and what it is being being delivered right now uh, people expected all these ultra low latency all these fancy features industry 4.0 everything to start from day one that uh, obviously people who in the know knew that it's not be from day one but uh, the hype created ex made uh, people to expect that from to start day one that has not done it's a continuous process things are on the way to happen but that, that has not happened but people expect it so yeah, it's up there can discuss more as we move forward thanks prakash monisha good morning and uh, your thoughts on this what's gone well what has not gone well uh, <clears throat> thanks david for the question <clears throat> and welcome everybody uh, to this discussion so <clears throat> before i um, ex explicitly address david's question i'd like to just uh, say that the reality that I will talk about during the next hour or so is really based on uh, you know, more than two years of research that we've done um, on deployed networks. So unlike a lot of academic research, uh, we've gone out there with uh, measurement tools, with uh, our phones uh, and other uh, experimental apparatus to measure what actual operators are deploying. So what has gone well? Uh, I think we, we need to keep in mind that these are still early days for 5G. It's barely two years uh, into the deployment. Uh, and the deployment started, it coincided with the start of a global pandemic. So that has had to have, have an effect as to how fast things are rolling out. But I must say I was quite surprised as to how even during the pandemic years, uh, the rollouts kept going. Uh, Verizon millimeter wave 5G started appearing in uh, late 2020, 2021 in Chicago. Uh, and uh, 2021 was actually a year where lots of deployments started happening. So while the pace of a deployment could certainly have been better, uh, given the constraints that the entire industry was working under, you know, supply chain constraints, the pandemic, um, it, uh, I will say it has uh, been uh, uh, pretty good. I think what has not gone very well um, is, as was pointed out by both uh, David and Prakash, is, is the hype around, um, you know, 5G uh, and millimeter wave and what it can do for you. We have done extensive testing on millimeter wave in the Chicago area. Uh, we are fortunate to be in a city where it's been deployed very well. And uh, yes, the, you get the gigabits of second uh, speeds on your phone, uh, but um, you know it's only if you're standing on a street corner right next to a lamppost and there are deployments every half a block, literally. And so it has definitely got a niche. Um, how sustainable is it for even coverage in dense areas uh, even in downtown Chicago, there are only few areas that have that have dense uh, millimeter wave deployments. Uh, the other thing that we have observed in our work is that uh, hand in hand with uh, 5G being deployed, at least in the early days before the mid before the mid band spectrum came online, carriers were being very innovative in how they were using things like LAA or even CBRS to carrier aggregate. So. We have measurements that show uh, networks getting 100, 200, even 300 megabits per second over 4G. And this was using carrier aggregation over three unlicensed channels and a couple of LTE channels. So um, the difference in the early days, and we have a lot of data that shows in the early days, the difference between these optimized 4Gs and 5G was actually not that much. And in many cases, 5G was poorer. 
Today, we are beginning to see that gap increase. So clearly, as new spectrum is coming online, and basically, ultimately, as David pointed out, is the mid-band spectrum that is changing this equation uh, across the country, uh, the gap between what you get in 4G and 5G is beginning to widen. Um, so I think the reality is pretty good. Um, hopefully, the pace of acceleration uh, will improve. Uh, on the hype side, I agree there's a lot of focus just on, you know, your speed test and what it's saying. And I think we need to delve a bit deeper into really understanding uh, what 5G can deliver to us as consumers. Excellent. Thank you, Manisha. Joe, you have thoughts? On okay. Yeah, thank you, David. And it's it's great to be here. Uh, I, I think while we're talking about this big strategic question, you know, it's important to ask ourselves, what do we want 5G to do? And and as an industry, you know, we went from 2G to 3G to 4G. And I, I think people did get sort of trained along a 20-year process to think that every generation is faster speed into your phone. And right. uh, in fact, uh, th that was an expectation that I think consumers were led to believe is, is the driving force of the industry. Uh, when in fact, I think with LTE, we achieved the speed that most people were able to use. Um, you know, I think with each of those generations, and I could I could talk for a long time about how you know BlackBerry existed in the early 2000s, and then you know Google Maps actually launched well before LTE was launched, uh, and so we had apps that were waiting in the wings for each of these generations uh, that made it obvious that you had to buy a 4G phone if you wanted to do Uber, you had to buy a 4G phone, and so people did. Uh, but uh, here we are, we're a few years into 5G and there is no app that's driving people to buy a 5G phone. Uh, so there, there is now a disconnect between what we actually achieved with 5G and what the end consumer perceives. Um, they don't really see much need to, to buy it or pay more for it. And uh, I think that's a problem in the industry. Um, now I'm not saying that 5G is a failure. I think uh, in fact, 5G is a spectacular success in terms of uh, bringing down the cost for delivering each gigabyte of data for the operator. Uh, but the, the benefit is to the operator and the benefit is not so much to the end user right now. Um, and so we have this difference, uh, you know, perspective where the operators are getting some business benefits of bringing down their costs. Uh, they're getting fatter pipes and, uh, you know, that's, that's helping them in their business case. Uh, but the end consumer is not seeing the benefit of it. And at the same time, we haven't really seen those uh, low latency or high reliability automation applications taking off yet. Um, I think that will come, it'll take some time. And uh, 5G is just starting that process. So uh, we're in a bit of a, a, a time lag right now where we see some benefits for the operator. Job one was to get more capacity into the network and 5G has done that. Uh, but job number two, in terms of creating new revenue, uh, we don't see that yet. I, I think, thank you all for, for making great points here. And, and I, I tend to agree with pretty much everything that you've said. Um, you know, certainly for people that are looking for better performance uh, or perhaps they have maybe even, um, they live in an urban environment where their network is heavily utilized, um, 5G could be a reason to get another phone to, you know, uh, of course, uh, I, I run out and buy the latest phone because I want to test the network more than anything else. But then I'm an engineer, so I, I do things like that. Uh, but for the average person, the question is, is like, is your phone performing well? Um, to your point, uh, I, I think consumers don't necessarily yet see the benefit because the, the apps are still and the, the services on that are going to leverage these other 5G features like latency, um, massive uh, you know, massive uh, machine communication; those are still in develop, and and maybe uh, Manisha's students will uh, will start companies soon and and take advantage of this and, and be wildly successful. Um, but but so far, I, I think we have, you know, we have not seen, if you will, the smartphone of five G. In other words, smart smartphones were really the killer app for four G. They they made the network work. Uh, and they made the network valuable, so so people took advantage of that increased capacity. I think you do reach a point where you ask the question, you know, do you really need a gigabit as you're driving down the freeway 
at 60 miles an hour. And I suppose my kids might say yes, but perhaps as the driver of the car, I don't, I don't necessarily need that. Um, I think you all touched on something that I, I have thought is really, uh, which is really relevant to this is that the way that 5G is marketed is really a business to consumer marketing. It's, it's done as, Hey, this is going to make your phone faster. Uh, you're going to be able to download a movie in a second. You're going to be able to play your games. You're going to be able to, to get on your, your music. Um, 5G is, to your point, about better carrier economics. And so there's a business thing there, but you can't really market that. What are you going to do? You're going to put up an ad during the Super Bowl that says, hey, guess what? We're spending less money to build the network. <laughs> People would say, well, great. Then, then maybe you should charge me less for my my for my service um but but then it, there's really no there's really no business to business marketing that occurs there um and, and i was i guess i was wondering if you if you think that yeah i see manisha raising mm -hmm. her hand so i'm going to ask you to go first um what do you think is a way that carriers will i mean how will how will carriers develop that business to business marketing and 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 is that something that you do you agree that that's something that they need to do monisha why don't you go first <clears throat> so um i'll probably get flagged for this but i really think this is an area where the carriers are not leading uh it is the private 5g network deployers that are so i think if there is i don't know it's a killer app but it's definitely a very new direction that did not ex exist in uh in 4g and and honestly, it's less about 4G and 5G, like what system you deploy, but more about how we how we allocate spectrum for networks. So if you see what is happening in the CBRS space, which is mostly 4G right now, but very quickly you will start seeing 5G being deployed. I think that is where you're really going to see the business to business and the innovative applications come out. So. Uh, in, in the city of South Bend, uh, there is a CBRS 5G, private 5G network that's going to go live, uh, maybe it already has gone live, uh, to connect school children uh, to, um, uh, to, to the internet. Because obviously the pandemic uh, made us realize how important that is. So I don't know whether, and again, you know, I'm speaking as an academic and based on the research I've done, uh, and I'm working on CBRS right now because there are very, very interesting uh, actually technical issues that are surfacing in that band, but perhaps it is time for us to move away from the notion that the G's are an operator or carrier only thing and look at how it can be more widely used by other sections uh, of the of the ecosystem. So 5G and RU, uh, I know there aren't devices out there yet or installations, but you have 1.2 gigahertz of unlicensed spectrum in six gigahertz waiting to be used. Right now, only Wi-Fi is using it. So I, I, I think that a lot of these other, other than the business to consumer use cases, um, may develop outside of the operator ecosystem. And we're going to go to Joe next, but I, I wanted to touch on what you just said, Manisha, which is um, we have done some CBRS deployments as well, and, and all of them have been education. Um, so ed, uh, CBRS is showing up in education in a massive way. Uh, we, I mean, we have, I, I want to, I mean, we've done four systems since just in Silicon Valley. I know La, Salt Lake City, Las Vegas, Tucson, uh, you know, the Mountain View uh, it, School District did, uh, did CBRS. It's, it's been really amazing to see how quickly that goes. And of course, I think we'd all agree that Spectrum enables people to do things, ergo, CBRS represents spectrum that is now available. Joe, you had your hand up, and I want to uh, I want to uh, call on you next. So go ahead. Right, and I, I thank you. I want to expand on what Manisha just said because I agree. Uh, you know, we we have this expectation that five G is going to uh, cause new business to happen. That we're we're gonna if we address the enterprise with five G, that they're going to be able to do things with it. Uh, and I think there's a missing piece there. You know, we, we developed 2G, 3G, 4G uh, for smartphones. And in fact, people using phones is pretty similar all around the world. You can have a couple of platforms like iOS and Android uh, and then write apps for those platforms. 
And everybody kind of uses those apps in the same way. You've got uh, a, a known market of billions of people. Uh, but the enterprise market looks different. Uh, there, that's where you have, you're, you're going to need a thousand different uh, apps uh, that run on different kinds of platforms that do very different things. Uh, they're not just all people uh, surfing the internet and clicking on things. Uh, so I, I think uh, what we have here is we have a situation where we have 4G and 5G technologies, CBRS being still 4G, and then we have a lot of 5G deployment with low latency and new capabilities. And people are asking, well, why, why is the enterprise business not growing? Uh, my answer to that is that we don't have the maturity of the software platforms to do the automation. If, if we want to automate the forklift in the warehouse, you know, there are some big companies that are working on some of those things and they're, you know, they're throwing a big team of 200 engineers to make that work right now. Uh, but we need to get that, that platform to a maturity level where it could be a couple of guys on a weekend that write some code to automate that forklift to drive around their, their place. Uh, that's, that's the level of maturity we have for apps today. Uh, where you know a teenager can write an app and put it up, and you know it's it's quick and easy now, because the platform has matured. So uh, I think in order for 5G to create the enterprise revenue that we want, uh, there's other pieces like edge computing and software that have to come into play. And that that's that's a great point. Thank you, Prakash. Uh, you're next. Yeah. So uh, my view is a little bit different uh, on that on this point. I think, I mean, I, I fully believe in private networks. They will be the force to reckon with. But I think the that time is still uh, a few years away. I think for next, uh, you know, at least three, three to five years, I think public uh, networks will rule and decide, you know, where the technology goes and how it will be used. Sure. And also, uh, I think we have to divide in two parts. I mean, and when you look at enterprises, that is the first phase of 5G, which was purely broadband, you know, uh, and the second phase where a lot of the IoT and the automation and other things that Joe was talking, uh, talking about will come into play. So I believe there is a role uh, for broad mobile broadband itself uh, in enterprises. We are not seeing them on the you know, advertisements and on the TV and so on, mainly because, I mean, that's how, that's not how the, uh, that that market is addressed. For example, I'll give you some of the uh, you know use cases that I'm looking at working on is uh, financial sector, right? They are always worried about the resiliency. Right now, there is one fiber coming into the data centers or even branches and so on, and uh, all of their systems, in you know, which risk management, consumer finance, enterprise finance, everything runs on that one connection. What if that, for whatever reason, that uh, cable is cut, they're they in uh, big soup. So they're looking at using multiple accesses to, to address that, right? So, uh, you know, use wireless, fixed broadband or whatever you want to call it, your 5G connection for, for some of their other systems to run. And there's nothing magical about 5G that makes it possible now. They, they were running in 4G as well to some extent, but 4G has had a lot of capacity constraint because of limited spectrum right. it had. So it was only used as a backup if something breaks. And that is a change I'm seeing is uh, in enterprises, uh, cellular is not just seen as a backup when their main line fa uh, fails, but also as a uh, you know, kind of a uh, hot standby kind of thing. You basically run your actual systems on uh, these wireless connections, sure. and then they can work as backup as, as well if it one cuts. But not only as backup, but main as a main backend as well. And uh, in terms of uh, you know maybe uh, maybe looking for one application on a phone may may not be the right way for every for the industry to look at whether something has succeeded or not. One thing is for sure. People are seeing the difference in terms of speeds, uh, you know, especially in dense urban areas that you've seen, and that is purely come from not because of 5G uh, uh, technology as such, but more because of more bandwidth they have, and also it is uh, you know, lower cost of bringing those bits to you, right? right. And how uh, consumers are benefiting, uh, it's a little bit uh, convoluted how they are benefiting. If you go back to 5G, you know, unlimited doesn't mean unlimited plans, right? You had like five, 20 or, you know, GBs of, most of them are five GBs. After that, your speed would come to crawling uh, hard, right? So 
But now, although for only maybe a $10, $15 more per month, you have real unlimited plans, which means you have 40, 50 GB, sometimes even no limited. If you look at some of the enterprise plans, there is no limit at all. There is no, uh, you know, um, slowing of speeds when you go beyond 50 GB. So that is the benefit people are seeing. And for enterprises, that is big uh, uh, thing because, you know, there is no outer limit for them that they have to keep looking at, right? So, so and that is from a broadband point of view. And those other automation and in the industry 4.0, as it's sometimes called, those will they'll be very slow to come in my view. I mean, because changing that, uh, changing something of that scale will take a lot of time. Uh, and even from standards perspective, many of these things were introduced in uh, you know, 15 at a very low level, maybe uh, improved in 616. They're kind of per being perfected in 17 and 18. So usually that's at least two to three, uh, two to three years of lag between when the standards are done and they are seen in actual products. And in this case, when the magnitude is so high, it could be even you know five years or more, right? So, so that's that's I want to make sure it's not only the private networks where we'll see the difference. Obviously, they will happen, but I think there'll be a lot of use cases even in. Uh, with broadband, uh, with public networks, in my view. Well, well, and and also, I, I think I think the thing that needs to happen, uh, and I believe will happen, is that um, devices will come onto the market that can take advantage of five G, and other, and then you'll begin to see, um, for example, right now, I mean, my um, my car has uh, my car has a. a a tracker and a, a dongle because I have a young daughter who just started driving and my wife was concerned. She wanted to be able to know, like, did the airbag deploy? You know, is she speeding? Things like that. And so we have a tracker in the car. Now that's a 4G tracker, but a 5G tracker would um, perform equally well, but, but also there would be the ability to have more of these devices. So for example, um, smart metering infrastructure, you know, uh, and we, we're all we've all been around long enough to remember metricom uh with the ricochet network which was originally a smart meeting so i'm dating myself but 20 years plus right that was why that was why metricom started but then now we have uh, 4g which can handle a certain number of devices but not many devices um certainly not as many as we would need for say every water meter in a town to have a to have a cellular device so you would want to do that with potentially another technology. LoRaWAN has been a technology that's used for metering, but 5G now could be used. But I think it's also a devices question, right? Are there are there radios that are inexpensively available? That will happen, and that, that's one of those things. Um, there have been a, a few comments um, and questions that have come through from the audience. And, and before I go any further, I did want to mention a couple of things. Um, this is the first of a four-part series. The, the next series that we are going to do is going to be on um, broadband as a um, as an infrastructure. In other words, the, the Infrastructure Jobs Act that was passed contained quite a bit of money for um, for broadband. And, and that is the next topic. And then we're going to do a session specifically on the question of health effects. And so we're doing an event in November. Um, and we're going to do health effects at that time. So if you have questions about health effects, I encourage you to follow me on LinkedIn. Um, if you and I have not interacted, please don't ask to connect with me on LinkedIn, but you're welcome to follow me. Um, but And so if you follow us on, or follow IEEE Future, uh, Future Networks or educational activities, you'll see the, uh, the uh, announcements about those events, and then you'll, you'll have that. And then the final event um, that we're going to do is um, will 5G replace Wi-Fi? And, and so that's going to be another one. We're going to do that one in December. Um, so just letting the audience know, I see some of these questions that are coming through, and, and we will be addressing this in the course of this uh, in, in the course of this uh, webinar series. So I'm going to. So so that brings me to we talked about the, the we talked about the low bandwidth, the the Internet of Things. Um, one thing that we haven't really talked about is fixed. A uh, fixed 5G or, or uh, 5G as a potential replacement for um, brought for home broadband, whether that be DSL, cable, fiber optics. 
And, and I'd like to start with Joe on that and then Prakash, and then we're going to end with Monisha. Um, so what are your thoughts on 5G fixed, um, 5G home as it's sometimes marketed, uh, whether using C-band or millimeter wave, and, and how do you see that How do you see that playing out in the market? Yeah, we've done a lot of work on this, David, and, and uh, you know, looking at the economics of, of trying to serve homes in a rural area with broadband, uh, you know, you get to a population density where wireless makes a lot more sense than fiber, uh, just from the point of view of digging long trenches or long fiber runs and so on. Um, and so I think that's pretty well known. Uh, uh, this is one of the reasons why we predicted 15 years ago that, that one of the first uses of these wider frequency bands uh, would be for fixed wireless access. Um, and now we have, we have millimeter wave in the networks today. And uh, I, I see that as one of the primary purposes of it. It's, uh, you know, the idea is that you, you take some incremental revenue by, by going after the fixed broadband market. Uh, you know, there's a certain uh, baseline of revenue that the operators have today for their mobile traffic. Uh, and uh, they're having trouble increasing that. Uh, you might say that the mobile revenue picture for the smartphone is saturated. And so, okay, they look around for incremental revenue and, and there's this fixed broadband market out there that they can latch onto and, and add another 20, 30% of, of revenue on top. And, uh, and so I think that's really uh, what we're seeing today is, is some operators getting aggressive about going into the fixed wireless market, um, cherry picking some markets where uh, the demographics make sense, the population density makes sense and they have spectrum and, and maybe they're not using all the capacity on their spectrum. Uh, so there are, there are places where millimeter wave is a great fit, where you can reach a lot of homes with millimeter wave. Uh, there are other places that are in some more rural settings where C-band might be more effective for a long range and, and would have adequate capacity for those, those people. And uh, I guess what I would close by saying is that, you know, we look at the, the average usage of a smartphone you know, in the tens of gigabytes per month, uh, you know, people use 15 or 20 gigabytes per month. Uh, but in a home, people use between 500 gigabytes or even a terabyte per month. Um, you know, some some American households are outrageous, the amount of data they consume. Um, so uh, we're talking about a whole new level of capacity. And, and if you're going to adapt your mobile network to that, it takes some very fat pipes. Yeah, I, I certainly, I think that's that's really true. Um, I, I agree with you on the fiber cost. I mean, certainly that that's a massive issue. Um, you know, I've been I start I first started working in fiber in the late '80s, and and it, it was expensive back then. And I don't know that it's necessarily gotten any cheaper, to be honest with you. Um, so it, it is. A ma I think fiber is a massive challenge. Um, Prakash to you fixed wireless where, where are we yeah. i think that there are two uh, aspects which are in play here for fixed wireless as you know you and joe pointed out the benefits of uh, wireless connectivity fixed wireless especially in low density areas was very well known in terms of economics and such and 4g could not do it because lack of spectrum right so you know and uh, and the operators were focused more on uh, providing better mobile broadband before going into this and and they didn't want the fixed uh, to, uh, traffic as uh, David uh, as Joe pointed out this huge amount of fixed traffic affecting the user experience of their mobile users which are premium at that point of time so now what has happened with 5g is operators have lots of spectrum for example if you look at the T-Mobile has you know in most of their markets anywhere between 150 to 190 megahertz of midband 2.5 gigahertz spectrum which is quite a lot at least in the beginning similarly uh, you know um, verizon got close to 120 megahertz in most of their regions in, uh, in c-band auctions and similar same numbers with the uh, at&t which means when they begin with they have uh, enough spectrum that they can look at using that for other use cases and fixed wireless is excellent use case for them because it's additional revenue with the infrastructure they already have. And the second part is, uh, I think more than 60, 70% of the US has single broadband provider right now because of mishmash of uh, regulations. And obviously we all know the reputation uh, and the customer service, especially 
of these uh, you know, broadband providers. So there is a lot of pent-up demand. If there was another option, people would quickly jump to it. And we are seeing in some of the markets where the where Verizon and AT&T have, oh, sorry, Verizon and T-Mobile have launched fixed wireless access. So there is a lot of pent-up demand, and especially for uh, people who are using you know uh, speeds between say 100 and 150 mbps uh, speed plans then the fixed wireless is a perfect uh, solution for them whoever had like gigabit speeds which is very small number i don't think uh, fixed wireless is uh, there yet uh, maybe in enterprises they'll offer it but i don't think uh, operators will offer gigabit speeds on fixed wireless um, for consumers so those are the two things which are really fueling this and we are seeing in the numbers that uh, T-Mobile and Verizon are uh, reporting in terms of the uh, uh, consumer intake for fixed wireless. Um, and uh, also, uh, I mean, some might say, you know, very soon, if you're looking at this use case like XR and VR and other things which you, which need huge bandwidth, wouldn't there be a, a 4G-like situation where operators have to, you know, compromise between their mobile and fixed networks? Uh, for capacity whenever it reaches that point but I, I don't expect it to reach there within next two years but after you know maybe one and a half two years they might be in at some places in urban areas then i think that's where millimeter wave comes into play uh, verizon has started already but i think the real impetus of mill using millimeter wave for fixed broadband will come in when they see that uh, their the capacity the overall capacity in the network with the existing spectrum they have is eroding with uh, usage and so on. So that's, I think, uh, you know, from my point of view, how things will play out. Thank you, Prakash. Uh, yeah, great points. Monisha, please talk to us about fixed, fixed 5G. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, you know, over the last, I think, maybe two months ago, uh, um, so like you, David, as part of my research, we have a bunch of phones that we use to do a lot of measurements. and. Uh, I started noticing that sitting in my home, I can get in Chicago, I can get uh, almost 400 megabits per second over T-Mobile, right? That did not exist two months ago. So clearly, um, and this was over mid-band, that 100 megahertz, 2.5 gigahertz spectrum. Uh, but on the other hand, um, T-Mobile, and I think some other carriers too, are at this point restricting the number of 5G home customers they sign up. Uh, because as you said, they don't want to compromise the quality of service that they provide to mobile. Uh, millimeters of C-band, wideband, I think it's definitely a, a, a nice alternative. Um, from a theoretical point of view, I feel uh, using high-powered wireless uh, to go from outside the home to inside the home is not the best use of spectrum. Uh, I always prefer to you know, for the really high needs to to use uh, something like Wi-Fi over a fixed connection. Millimeter wave, uh, I think, um, I don't think the outside to inside propagation um, is going to improve. Uh, it is pretty much, we've done a lot of measurements in a dorm on campus where you close the window and you get nothing. So unless you have an installation method where you have your millimeter wave receive antenna outside line of sight uh, to your pole and figure out how to get that. That's that's to me. That's a very convoluted way of getting 5G at home over millimeter wave. Mm -hmm. So perhaps for millimeter wave, the better solution is really backhaul. You know, fixed point to point backhaul to maybe an apartment building or a multi-dwelling building where then you can get this fat pipe in and then redistribute within the home. Uh, but for sure, I think 5G at home or fixed broadband, if nothing else, uh, as you said, you know, providing an alternative to consumers so that they're not tied down to the one provider in their area, uh, maybe it will, uh, the, this competition will help everybody, including the consumer, to get better rates and better service. Uh, but I do worry as to, uh, I mean, today, 100 megahertz, 200 megahertz sounds like a lot of bandwidth. But if everybody starts signing, ditching their uh, cable and the DSL and fiber and moving there, it's not going to be a lot. Sure. So there has to be a sense of uh, scale. And um, and the networks actually are doing it. They're not signing everybody up. They are sure. doing it gradually. And that's and that's the right way to go. So C-band, mid-band, 5G, broadband, wireless, absolutely yes. 
millimeter wave, more backhaul, point to point, rather than trying to reach somebody inside a home. It, it, it's interesting you bring that up because um, we we deal with a lot of clients in rural areas in Northern California, just simply because that's where my company is based. And so we get queries from people in, in our area all the time and say, well, how can I get broadband in my home? And and they try to sign up for Starlink and they, they're told that there's a wait list. Uh, and it's, it's a year, right? And they're told, well, maybe next year. And I, and I know be, because they are, well, I should say they were concerned about making it through the RDOF process that they were mm -hmm. constraining. Now, of course, they didn't make it through RDOF yes. anyway, which so I guess they maybe should have constrained a little bit more. But but that being said, um, clearly um, there's there's a you know there is a if you will a peanut buttering of resources problem that that you take something that is constrained by physics and you try to spread it over too many users and everyone winds up suffering. Um, Wi-Fi, of course, has that problem where, um, you know, if, if you if you live on a hill overlooking a, a, a valley full of homes, your your Wi-Fi access point is seeing every Wi-Fi access point in that valley, um, and and you your performance will suffer accordingly. Um, so that's just physics, right? We can't change that. Now we could add more spectrum, which is really I think what we're doing, and maybe what 5G has done more than anything else. And and somebody made the point earlier. Uh, 5G has really been um, a reason to add spectrum to the telecom network, which was necessary. And we knew that because 4G was exceeding capacity. I know, you know, Joe's, uh, Joe's uh, exponential growth chart, which, which I love to use and, and I used in the book that I wrote in 2016 and 2019. And thank you, Joe, for loaning me charts when I need them. Um, that That is, I think that tells the story, right? That tells the story of how... Um, People are not giving up on their devices anytime soon. They they want them, and and they want to keep using them. But we are reaching a point of, you know, there's a tragedy to the commons problem that's occurring here, and and so more spectrum is necessary um, to make that work. I, I wanted to to not not counter what you said, Manisha, but but touch on something you said, which was that you said it was a cumbersome process to have a device that would effectively convert millimeter wave into Wi-Fi. I mean, behind me right now on my shelf is is my fiber gateway, which AT&T, um, by the way, took two days to install and, and no no offense to AT&T, but, but it was just a problem. They had issues with getting the fiber physically installed. So, um, you know, I'm not sure if putting a device on the outside wall of my, of, of my office and then piping through to a Wi-Fi access point would have been faster or slower having had a business in the past doing home installs of telecom and, and communications equipment um I'm, I'm definitely sensitive to that question of um how quick can the install be done because time is money when you're an installer uh, but but i don't know that there's necessarily a difference between what we're doing now and what we would do with fixed wireless to convert it into wi-fi and certainly we're doing that in the cbrs world and education that's how we handle the, the education networks that we built, which, which was to hand them a, a CPE and say, you know, place this near a window that's near your school on the on the side of your house that's closest to your school. To your point, millimeter wave doesn't go through the glass very well. Um, I want to make sure that we have time for questions, and we are probably coming up to the top of the hour here. Um, we've got about 12 minutes. And uh, I'm fine to stick around a little bit if you want, but I, I kind of figured this was going to go this was going to go a little long. Um, if, if none of you have a hard stop, um, there were some questions from the audience that I thought I would I would put to you. So if you don't mind, I'd, I'd like to transition uh, to that. If you will give me a moment to filter through, because there were quite a number of questions here. Um, There was a question about there was a question about uh, previous generations of cellular being focused primarily on speed, and and I think they also mentioned latency. Um, you know, is there anything being done in five G to address coverage? Uh, in, in other words, to create wider area coverage or create better coverage, and and certainly we know that um, the six hundred megahertz spectrum is one. 
And so I'm going to go back up to Prakash, and then I'll go around to Manisha. Joe, um, your thoughts on 600 megahertz? Where where are we at that? I mean, the, the the lower you go on spectrum is always better for coverage, right? I think the 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 basic focus of many of the developments is not so much. I mean, there are there are a few things being done. You know, there is a higher uh, you know uh, uplink power power class to improve coverage usually because uplink is the weak link that would improve some of the coverage and then you know uh, especially for iot and other things you are where don't need a lot of speed but need a lot of coverage so there is something called um, an nr light which is basically you are you are making sure you don't uh, you know add a lot of uh, you, know, you 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 reduce the speed and there is a lot of reputation and other things where you, you can get lower speed, but much larger coverage. It was done in 4G as well. Similar things are happening. So, I mean, no matter what the, the, the physics is, you, you, you go lower on spectrum, you get coverage. But the lower spectrum obviously have uh, a small amount of bandwidth. So you have to manage that. And a lot of places, the, the, the challenge that 5G is are trying to address is more of densification, wherein you know, you need at a very concentrated place, you need lots of devices to be connected. Mm -hmm. If it is all of them need to be broadband, then you need to make sure, uh, you know, you have very small uh, base station radius, uh, station radius, and then the interference is uh, managed so that you can stuff more and more sites into the network. Uh, uh, or if you're looking at coverage only IoT kind of related use cases, then you basically change the because basic standard was defined for a smartphone kind of application uh, but if you're looking for iot related use cases where don't need you know hundreds of megabits per speed but they need coverage with maybe tens of you know 10 megabits or even a megabit or lower than speed then you basically improve upon the modulation uh, and the other things to improve coverage that way right so that is at a, at a high level where you could address it. But there are some physical, physics-related constraints you just cannot uh, uh, to address. And a lot of cases, many of these things that you're talking about that need a lot of good coverage, uh, we don't, may not need 5G right now. I mean, if you look at 4G I, IoT, which is EMTC and NB-IoT, those are forward compatible, which means you know you can fit them in a uh, 5G waveforms. So even if you upgrade to NR uh, in your network, you your existing uh, LTE, NBIoT, and EMTC device will still work. So, if you ask me, EMTC and NBIoT are the IoT solutions for uh, 5G, so to speak, which need this larger coverage, longer battery life, and so on. I think that was the question you were asking. So I don't know that you answered your question. I, exactly. I see both Manisha and Joe raising hands. So thank you, Prakash. Yeah, I, I, uh, Manisha, you and then Joe. Yeah. So um, Prakash, I think, basically said it's all about the physics of propagation, right? Uh, you want to do rural long distance coverage, you have to be in 600 megahertz range, that range. The thing to keep in mind, though, is that if, on the technology side, if there are two defining technologies that 5G adopted that did not exist in 4G, one would be uh, the millimeter wave and the beam forming, and the second one would be the massive MIMO, where you have large antenna arrays that can do multiple uses at the same time. Neither of these work very well at the lower frequencies. So when you go back, go down to 600 megahertz, 4G over 20 megahertz in 600 megahertz, a 20 megahertz bandwidth would work as well as 5G. So, uh, you know, when we talk about rural broadband and making it cost effective and low cost and roll out, I personally feel that if you really wanted a low cost rural coverage today, deploy 4G in some of this lower spectrum that you have. But uh since we don't want to be deploying a, uh, an old system now it's fine to go to 5g but at the end of the day your rural coverage will only increase if more and more carriers start deploying um, 20 megahertz uh in the low band much more uh, widely the other thing that we've noticed is that today most 5g is non-standalone uh you have standalone beginning to emerge in the urban areas 
Um, and in fact, many times if you run a speed test and it shows up as 5G throughput and you look behind, what we'll see is it's one, maybe 10 megahertz 5G channel aggregated with a 20 megahertz LTE. And sometimes you'll have three LTE, you know, unlicensed channels of CBRS. So really your 5G throughput is really going over 4G. So I think if the objective is to improve rural coverage, don't get hung up on 5G. Use the mix of frequencies and technologies that make the most sense for you to do that. I, I think I think in the rural case, and so it's one of this is one of these yes and responses. I, I think in the rural case, 5G actually is important. And the reason why is because 4G has a resource block constraint that is challenging when you do wide area. So if you were to have a mountaintop site that can do 4G, you can only really do about 200 resource blocks in that. And, and so if you're covering a very large area, which you would expect 600 to be able to cover, 5G, because it has that um, capability to do millions of users uh, versus, four, versus 4G, I think you'd want to do that. Um, so, so to me, but to your point, and I think you're, you're saying it exactly right, if you're doing if you're doing 5G rural six low band, and you're doing it with a 4G core, that's a mistake, right? You should be building a standalone 5G, and just going straight in. And we haven't even talked about core. We haven't. <laughs> this yeah. whole conversation's been about RAN, right? So so we haven't even talked really about core. Um, so Joe, you wanna uh, you wanna uh, close us out with a comment about that? And... Yeah, talking about coverage. Uh, you know, I think it's. It's true that everyone talks about low bands having great long coverage uh, and the physics of propagation uh, argue in favor of the low bands. Uh, but then as you go to shorter wavelengths in the higher frequencies, you can use massive MIMO. And so I'd, just to repeat Manisha's point, the massive MIMO and beamforming is a, is a tool that extends coverage, not just capacity or speed, uh, but also helps to extend coverage. And so uh, we can trade these two against each other. Uh, but what I wanted to point out is that there's really a third dimension now uh, that's becoming more and more important. <clears throat> In fact, I would think it's going to become the most important dimension. And so I've started to draw this as a three-dimensional diagram uh, where we have uh, the, the outdoor coverage distance that you can cover, uh, the capacity for a given band, and the penetration through the walls. Um, so as an example, we have a lot of demonstrations right now where people do five miles uh, using millimeter wave signals, and they use a, a large beamforming array, and they get a lot of gain, and they can get a gigabit over, over several miles. Uh, right. So the outdoor coverage distance is okay, uh, but the minute it hits the wall of your house, it's dead, sure. and you can't get it inside, and, and so is it really useful for you? Uh, and uh, I think as we start to look into 6G next, um, as we start to talk about hype, you know, the hype is coming for 6G, where people are gonna be talking about 140 gigahertz and a big 10 gigahertz fat pipe. Uh, and look at, look at the huge speed that you can get. Um, we're gonna have cases there where you have massively massive MIMO, uh, you know, very large arrays to get a lot of gain. And again, we'll be getting distances of a mile, uh, but then there will be no penetration even through the glass window of your car. Uh, and so uh, we have to think about what's useful and uh, there is a sweet spot in there where a combination of massive MIMO and beamforming and uh, lower frequencies, below 6 gigahertz, are really the, the best way to get coverage for a heavy capacity. Um, so one of the things I've been arguing for in, in you know, IEEE and other forums is that we need to get into cognitive radios and start to repurpose more spectrum below 6 gigahertz uh, so that we, you know, that 3 or 4 5 gigahertz range is, is really ideal for a combination of low enough propagation, good penetration, and massive MIMO at the same time. I, I think you brought something up that Manisha touched on that is really important, which is if you're if you're jamming in a lot of power to penetrate walls, you know, you, you live in a house. I, I had a house for 20 years that was stucco, right? Stucco over chicken wire. <laughs> Basically, I lived in a Faraday cage, right? Um, and so. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're jamming up the power to, to overcome walls, then that 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 is a problem because you're by jamming up the power, you're not making the best use of the spectrum because you're now painting 
but maybe massive MIMO will help with that because you're only pointing it in a certain direction. Um, I see Brad has appeared, and, and that's probably where I get the shepherd's crook that comes off the side of the stage around my neck, and he's going to say, okay, David, stop talking. Um, I, I want to close out by saying thank you all for, for such a great conversation, uh, and uh, always enjoy talking to any of you. And as a group, it's, it's just been great, and, and I think we've covered a lot of topics. Certainly, we uh, <laughs> haven't covered any, any, nearly as much as we should have in this in this complex but but your insights and expertise are, are uh, greatly appreciated thank you for being part of it i'm gonna uh turn it back over to and thanks to the audience for being here today as well turn it back over to brad to uh to play us off the stage yeah um <clears throat> thanks david um and just so everyone knows we're gonna make an effort to um grab the list of questions that everyone put in there capture everything that we weren't able to talk about in uh this session and see if we can put together, uh, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, uh, online posting that we can share with everyone who registered to try and get to some of the questions that weren't able to to be discussed. Um, but you know, with that, yeah, <laughs> me and my shepherd's uh, crook, we're out of time here. And um, uh, so, you know, again, thanks, David. Thanks to all the panelists um, and and to the audience as well for tuning in. Um, I think it was a great conversation and a great kickoff to this uh, four-part series. So if you want to join the next 5G Demystified panel, uh, just below me in the description field for this event, you'll find a link uh, to the next event. Uh, that one will be called Broadband is Infrastructure. And yes, my inflection was meant to imply a question mark at the end there. We'll be talking about the idea of how suddenly broadband is considered infrastructure and what that means, and and um, and and what it's going to mean for uh, for for the the industry and for users. Uh, it'll be here uh, on LinkedIn Live. Uh, it'll go live on October 18th at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, and uh, with that, uh, we have to say goodbye. But if you want to learn more about 5G and how it could transform uh, industry and society, please visit futurenetworks.ieee.org. Uh, and thanks very much. Have a great day. Thank, Thank you. you all. Thank you. Bye. Bye.